Welcome to the Psychology World Podcast with me, Conor Whiteley. Psychology student and international best-selling psychology author of over 30 psychology books, bringing you the latest psychology news, fascinating psychology topics and more each week. If you want to learn more, then please check out connorwhiteley.net forward slash books. And don't forget to like and subscribe to the YouTube video or follow on your favourite podcast app. And here's the show. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 247 of the Psychology World Podcast with me, Connor Whiteley. And today's episode is on what is MDR? And it's... Friday the 5th of January 2023 as I record this. So the reason why I wanted to do today's episode is because EMDR is something I've heard quite a lot about. I know it's a little stigmatised within psychology but I am starting to hear more and more about it. Not so much professionally because um, it's still quite stigmatised in the sense that it is quite controversial and that's something that we address in today's episode. And I also poke a little fun at um, EMDR, which is actually quite funny. But mainly my interest has actually been repeating this because, because I have a lot of friend and they went through EMDR, which is something that we haven't actually spoken about, but they made a off-the-cuff comment about it before. Well, before though, and then when I was listening to a podcast host, which I really like, she also went through EMDR after she lost someone that she liked. So I thought I would do a, a bit of an introduction to it and a bit of a deep dive. So I'm really looking forward to it. I really enjoyed doing this podcast episode, especially when I poke fun at it, because this is one of the therapies where you can sort of like do it, but it's still really like useful. It's really in a point and EMDR can actually be really useful for our clients. So this is going to be a great episode and I know you're going to enjoy it. So we're moving on to the psychology news section. Because it's still the beginning of the year, the BPS Research Digest hasn't been sending out new emails, but I have gone onto their website and there's one which I really like, like there's a research article that I quite enjoy here and it actually came out today. Participants go further for hard science studies. So I'll read you the first two paragraphs and then maybe one of the later ones and then we'll discuss it. Recent re-examination of Stanley Milgram's classic studies into how far people are willing to go when instructed to harm another person have led to a shift in ideas about the reasons for the results. Rather than being related to obedience to authority, it's been suggested that a participant's level of identification with a scientific cause in a question could explain how willing they are to continue a task when they believe it is hurting someone. If true, this engaged followership theory would mean that scientific research has a potential dark side. 
The more that a participant believes that the work is important, the more willing they are to obey potentially harmful instructions. A recent paper in the British Journal of Social Psychology now provides evidence in support of this. And the last paragraph is, in this particular study, the participants weren't asked to harm anyone else, and there were some limitations to the conclusions, especially as the third study did not get the same results as the first do, but the results do support the idea that the more that people believe that a cause, in this case science, is worthy, the more willing they are to put any concerns aside. So if you want a more in-depth look, then definitely check out the BPS Research Digest website. But the reason why I actually wanted you to look at that one specifically was because all sciences, they do have a darker side. Because basically, everything in life that can be used for good can also be used for bad. For example, the internet. I flat out love the internet. It allows me to get great information. It allows me to podcast. It allows me to run my business, have my lectures, get information and so many more amazing stuff. Like, the internet is amazing. But we also know the darker side about the internet. And, of course, science has had quite a troubling legacy, well, like, legacy before them, particularly psychiatry, which, which I always like to divorce from the psychology a little, but I know they basically came from like, the same place because science has been used to justify racism, homophobia, transphobia, etc. before. So there's always a darker side, but if we sort of um, bring this back to what this article's actually about, I think that this is something we need to be aware of, <laughs> for sure, because if we're doing um, studies that might make people concerned, then I think that it's definitely our ethical op legation to society to try and like protect them and try and mitigate all of these things and i understand that ethical guidelines ethical like committees etc as you like minimize this a lot but i still think that this is something that we need to be aware enough well without the worthiness of our studies that can actually make people like less concerned so it's definitely interesting food for so it's definitely interesting food for thought. So I hope you enjoyed this much shorter psychology news section. So let's move on to the person update. So moving on to the personal update. So, so I know that you've already had a, a 2024 podcast episode, but hello everyone. I hope you had a great new year. Hope you had a great holiday season and wow, it is so good to be back podcasting. And I mean, like, even though I took a break from podcasting for two weeks because I scheduled everything beforehand, I mean, I always miss this podcast. I always miss coming to my audio booth, talking to you wonderful listeners and just sharing psychology information and just learning psychology myself from the psychology news section and the blog post. I mean, I do love this podcast. Well, but it's been the first week of the new year and it's been really good, 
really uh, like happy. I'm been like ramping up my projects. There's been tons of statistics and problems again. Uh, well, again though, because our exams have now been postponed, which I'm very happy about. And according to the WhatsApp group, which me and my cohorts are in, everyone's happy about that. About that, so uh, that's good though. So I'm doing tons of like statistics revision, ramping up projects, projects. And then I also spent quite a lot of time with like friends and family, well, because we all had some family birthdays. So it was really, really good, uh, good though. And it was such a nice rest and break, like uh, from everything. And if you're a UK listener, and to be honest, I think international listeners might be interested like in this. Battersea Power Station in London and the Lift 109 is actually really good because what it is is that it's an old power station in London and there's a lift that basically takes you up to the top of one of the chimneys which is 109 metres tall. So it allows you to see all of London and that's actually really nice. We did that on the 30th I think. No, it would be a 29th of December, so that's uh, really good, and I do recommend it. And uh, tomorrow, I'm off to London again, uh, because I'm going to go and see um, Circus de Solo uh, with uh, my mum. And I mean, circus performances, or to be honest, I don't actually know what it is, uh, because my mum said about it, she really wanted to go, and me being the pushover I am, I said yes. <laughs> yeah, but it'd be good and it'd be fun though. So, so were lots of exciting things happening. And then at the university term will start again. So I'm just preparing myself for that too then. And as always, I always love to know your thoughts and feelings on today's episode. So you can just email me, connorwhitely.net. You can always leave a comment at the show notes at connorwhitely.net forward slash podcast. And you can always tweet me on Twitter, at Sci-Fi Whiteley. I always love to hear from all of you because it really helps make the podcast feel more like a conversation. And you can also leave a comment on the Facebook post, Connor Whiteley, Psychology Author. So today's episode has been sponsored by Biological Psychology. And this is a great sponsor for today's episode. Because one of the ways how EMDR works is by using the central nervous system and eye movements uh, because one of the theories behind this and yes i'm going to address this in today's podcast episode for people who know a little bit about emdr is that is the physical sensation of uh, the eye uh, like moving which then has a psychological impact so this is sort of deals with psychophysics for example how do physical sensations um, get changed into uh, psychological states? So, um, so it's great, really easy to un- understand. But actually, it deals with that quite a lot. But then it also deals with tons of other stuff about how our biology, like hormones, pheromones, the central nervous system, neurotransmitters, the brain, etc. Uh, how do they all have an impact on our behaviour? So. I love this book. It's really good, really impactful, and it is a lot of fun. And I have to admit, the cover is actually quite beautiful. So if you want a like a book on your bookshelf that actually looks like really nice, definitely check it out. So that's biological psychology. 
available for all major ebook retailers and you can get the payback and the hardback version from Amazon, your local bookstore or local library if you request it. And whilst buying books helps to support the creation and the editing of the podcast, my time is sponsored by my wonderful patrons. And, and as always, a massive thank you to my patrons because your support shows that you like the show and you want it to continue. So if you want to become a patron of the show and to get some great rewards, then you can at patreon.com forward slash the Psychology World Podcast. So that's enough of the personality. Let's move on to the content part of today's episode. So we're moving on to the content part of today's episode. So we're going to be talking about what is EMDR. And just so you know what this stands for, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. And this is a, a great episode. I really enjoyed it. And I know that this is going to be a lot of fun for all of us. So let's dive into it. What is EMDR? EMDR isn't really a psychotherapy in and of itself. It's more of a psychotherapy technique that is designed to relieve the psychological distress associated with the client's disturbing memories. As well as, it involves a a client recalling a specific negative egg experience whilst following a side-to-side visual stimulus delivered by the therapist. A client needs to do this in EMDR because the lateral eye movements that following the stimuli causes are thought to reduce the emotional impact of this memory. This helps the negative egg experience to become easier to discuss with the therapist as the memory is effectively stripped of its power to trigger avoidance behaviour and anxiety within a client. In addition, there have been a lot of empirical studies that show that EMDR works for some clients but is very, very controversial. There are a lot of reasons for this, but one of the main reasons is that we just don't know how it works. Now, there are a lot of theories that try to explain how EMDR works, but there isn't a universally accepted theory. Another reason why it's controversial is because there isn't much clear evidence that EMDR is better than any other form of exposure therapy, since EMDR and other egg exposure therapies are basically the same in terms of you have a client recalling a traumatic memory in the safe environment provided by a therapist, as well as that the client repeatedly talks about the event in this safer context, and this leads to a decrease in avoidance and fear response. Personally, when I first learned the, those two reasons, I wasn't that surprised that it's been deemed controversial because I completely understand that EMDR is basically the same as other exposure therapies because they follow the same principles. And whilst it's good that we know EMDR works for some clients, clinical psychology is a science, after all, and we need to un- understand how and why EMDR works. Not just as a whole, but why does it work for specific clients and not others? And once we understand what are the most important elements 
or components of this therapy, then we might even be able to distill EMDR and combine it with other treatment models. There is a lot of work that needs to be done in EMDR research, as you'll see later on. How does EMDR work? Whilst, as I mentioned a moment ago, but there are no widely accepted theories that explain EMDR, I'm going to tell you some of these theories. None of these are conclusive, and these are all just theories. But I think having an, at least a basic un understanding of how EMDR might work is more important here than not knowing. Therefore, EMDR is meant to be based on the so-called adaptive information model, and this is meant to uh, target the way a distressing memory is stored in the brain. The idea behind this is that the experience is distressing because of how it's stored in the brain. So if you change how the memory is stored, then you can change how distressing it is to the client, as well as when these memories are triggered in the present, they contain all, all the same emotions, physical feelings and thoughts as the experience did in the past. All because the experience wasn't processed properly in the first place. Now I'm just going to say this um, upright. I find this theory very suspect already because I don't really see how this works, but anyway. Interestingly, there have been studies that have according to a question whether the eye movement part of EMDR is even needed. Due to these studies that suggest that EMDR actually works because the desensitization in those recording, confronting as well as reprocessing the inversive memories under the careful supervision of a therapist. And we all know what that's called. It's called exposure therapy, not EMDR. <laughs> so I just wanted to like point that out here there, that if you take out the eye movement, this is no different than any other form of exposure therapy. On the other hand, there have been some new theories that see adjusted in recent years to explain how EMDR works. And one of them, was by Andrew Huberman of Stanford University because he supports the eye movement as an important part of EMDR because he proposes that the movements seen in, in EMDR copy optic flow and this decreases a person's fear system as well as tempor temporarily decreases the sense of threat that the traumatic memory holds. Additionally, the eyes are an important part of the nervous system, and research Huberman conducted shows that when the eyes are relaxed, a client adjusts their inner state to match this. This is supported by additional research, including a, a study done by Dutch researchers and published in the Journal of Neuroscience. Also, I want to add in this quote from Huberman that further supports his theory. Open quote. It makes sense from an evolutionary pers perspective. We've always been confronted with threats, animal threats, interpersonal threats. Forward movement is the way you suppress the fear response. Close quote. Then when it comes to the visual system, he says, open quote. 
is a, a steering wheel and brake of the nervous system. The brain will follow the visual system in many ways. Close quote. I think this theory does make a, a lot of sense because it helps to explain how EMDR works, the biological mechanisms behind it, and how this has a knock-on effect for our mental processes. However, there are still other questions that have yet to be answered about EMDR's working. For example, the interpatient factors so that explain the variant, why it works for some people and not others, and to be honest, I think this is a little reductionist, since this theory only focuses on the biological aspects of eye movement. It doesn't explain how the social factors, like being in a safe environment or the therapist's office, helps us to explain how EMDR works. When is EMDR used? Whilst originally this therapy technique, was developed to treat PTSD is now used for a wide range of conditions. For example, anxiety disorders, depression, eating disorders, some personality disorders, obsessive compulsive disorders, and a few others. However, it's important to note that for a client to be a good fit for EMDR, they need to be comfortable with some emotional discomfort. They shouldn't be too easily overwhelmed by their feelings and not shut down emotionally when faced with discomfort. As well as the client should be able to use their emotional and cognitive resources to help them reprocess their memories. And I will just admit here that I don't think a single one of those points is actually unique to EMDR. I think they're the basic assumptions that all clients going into of all clients are going into psychotherapy because you can't do therapy successfully if you aren't willing to confront and process the past and you need to have a capacity to change to be able to do it in the first place. What should someone expect in EMDR? While some clients might need, um, might need a few sessions, a typical course of EMDR lasts between 6 and 12 sessions that are delivered once or twice a week, with some studies showing that reprocessing a single distressing memory can be processed within three sessions. Then after the client and therapist talk about the client's history and the therapist explains the procedure, the two work together to decide on which past experiences will be the subject of the treatment. Afterwards, the therapist activates the distressing memory by asking the patient to visualise and slash or experience their thoughts. And I have to admit that I find the term activate quite funny because it makes it sound like the therapist has a switch into a client's head. Anyway, once the memory is activated, the therapist assesses the level of negative thoughts and feelings within the client about the event and positive beliefs that the client wants to increase about themselves. Next, the therapist administers the bilateral visual stimulation. In addition, the client can almost always expect to experience some physical and emotional discomfort here because they'd be really recalling the distressing memories. 
then as the procedure continues, new thoughts and, uh, and feelings will emerge, and these are discussed. Also, the therapist samples the nature and level of the client's emotional and cognitive de-stress, as well as any physical feelings distress. Finally, the session ends when the client is manageably calm and the therapist gives them instructions about how to handle any disturbing thoughts and feelings in between their sessions. As well as in the following sessions, these are begin with an assessment of the memories that might have emerged since last treatment. Conclusion So I have to admit that this has been a rather fun podcast for episode for me because we've looked at how EMDR works, what EMDR is and what to expect in MDMR and more. And whilst I have made a fun of EMDR in at least two sections of this podcast episode because I really think if you take out the eye movement, this is just a fancy way of saying egg exposure therapy. I think this therapy does have a place in clinical psychology. Of course, more research has to be done. I will never argue against that. So we actually understand how it works because psychology is a science and we have to use empirical tools in a therapy. Also, there needs to be more research into how EMDR is different to other forms of exposure therapy because I'm not convinced that it's as different as it claims there to be. However, at the end of the day, there will be clients that need EMDR to improve their lives, decrease their psychological distress and function clinically normally. My friends are proof of that and so is the podcast host that I listen to from time to time. I think as long as we admit the limitations, we try to fix the limitations and we don't overstate how effective or great, I say in air quotes, uh, EMDR is compared to other therapies, then this is a good compromise because EMDR is a good for some people but it isn't for others and even for the people who it does work for we just don't know why. And that little bit of controversy is why psychotherapy can be important, fascinating and seriously fun to think about. So I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode and you got something out of it. I know that I did because, I mean, I just couldn't resist poking fun um, out of this um, particular psychotherapy because it really is just exposure therapy. I'm quite hardline on the opinion now. But if anyone else wants to argue that, then please, because I think this would be like quite a fun like debate and to be honest, and a little academic debate like it's always a fun though. So if you know someone who would enjoy today's episode, then please share it. I'm always really grateful when you wonderful people help spread the word about the podcast. And if you want to learn more, definitely check out Biological Psychology, available in all the usual places. And if you want to become a, a patron, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash the psychology world podcast so have a great day everyone and i'll see you next time thanks for listening today i hope you found it helpful 
please remember to like the video and subscribe to the, the YouTube channel and follow the podcast on your favorite podcast app. And if you wanted to learn more, then please check out the backlist of the podcast episodes or my books at conwhiteley.net. So have a great day and I'll see you next time.